Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Filmed in Canada podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, William. And I'm another host, Alexander. Thanks for listening again. This is the podcast where we talk about Canadian movies. No, I think the Canadian Screen Awards were this week. Were they? Yeah. Were they really? Yeah. Okay, I didn't pay attention to that at all. Nor did I. Okay. Are you going to look anything up on your mm, device? No. No? You can if, if you want. It's not Weird. worth it. <laughs> um, today's movie is... Uh, Insidious Chapter 2. <laughs> or is it Chapter 3 now? Uh, I've not seen any of those. Okay. No. There's but, one in theaters right now. Uh, yeah, I think the third one? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Have you seen them? No. Okay, because we're not talking about the Insidious. <laughs> but we'll, we are talking about a film by Denis Villeneuve. Yes. Um, Incendie. Did yeah. I say that right? Uh, sure, I don't know. Whatever. They don't, <laughs> say, they don't say it in the movie, so, they we, do not. so we don't really have a reference point. Okay. But, but because you, um, uh, you speak more French than I do. I'm just wondering if that's... A, if yeah, that's I, I don't know. I guess I would try to say Incendie. Okay. I don't know. I think you you pretty much said that. So I close don't know. enough. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Close enough for a Western Canadian. Yeah. It's all good, man. Um, let me get back to. The, I'll get back to the title in a moment. Yeah. But um, I just uh, I just <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny that uh, I've been trying to see Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yes. For the last couple of weeks, um, I I ignored it when it was in its general release, and yeah. then it started end up ending up on like a lot of um, best of the year lists. So I had renewed interest in it. And I, then I saw Sicario on mm. Blu-ray, and, and that was the, that's phenomenal, excellent, yeah, yeah. What a movie that is! Um, so then I was just I had all this renewed interest in Denis Villeneuve, yeah. Um, but it was like, uh, but Blade Runner was like out of general release, and it was showing up at some second run theaters and stuff. So mm. I figured I'd try to see it that way. Except all those showings recently have been sold out, yeah. And uh, and now I know it's on demand, and it's on the disc formats if you want to watch it at home. And usually I'm happy watching it at home. Yeah. But um, it just feels like because I've, I've, I've made at least two attempts to go to the theater and been denied, I just, I have to see it in the theater now. Yeah. So, um, so last night um, I was planning to see it again at the Rio because uh, Incendie was available on Netflix Canada. Mm-hmm. But then I discovered that the version on Netflix did not have English subtitles. So it was going to really slow down my viewing of it. So I had to go find the Blu-ray. So I swapped out one Villeneuve movie for the other last night. So yeah. I had to I had to pass on Blade Runner again to watch Incendie. Got your podcast duties. Yes. Priorities. Cool, yeah. man. But that's too bad you haven't seen Blade Runner yet. I haven't seen it either. But maybe we'll see it next time it's at the Rio. Which will be, um, uh, which will have passed by the time we post this. Yeah. And so maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll have Nobody seen it. cares. Maybe we won't. Right. Denis Villeneuve is like the most amazing director out of Canada currently. Are you meaning, are you meaning like Hollywood converts or? I'm just uh, like of the ones that are kind of regularly working right now, I think. Hmm. Um, or however you want to term it. I think, um, He's the guy. Yeah, he is. No? We, yeah. No, I would agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's hard to compare his more recent work to other Canadian filmmakers because no one gets to work with those kind of budgets or those actors or anything like that. Yeah. 
And uh, uh, okay, so um, I mean, Ansandi was from 2010, so that's only eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, just just glancing at his uh, IMDb profile, that was like his fourth or fifth fiction feature. But he had done shorts and documentaries. But his like his career seems to have uh, really started in the in the nineties, early nineties. Yeah, and and that he is yeah he's like the like the biggest director out of Canada right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, doing some of the more interesting work in Hollywood right yeah. now. So yeah, we'll talk about more of his films as our podcast continues. Mm. But yeah, I definitely want to do Polytechnique at some point. Okay. I've seen it. You hesitated, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. Um, I just, uh, I, I watched it before I knew who the, like, the, um, the, the, you know, what the director, mm. what so else So now that you know done. he's good, the movie should be better? or <laughs> it, Well, it, it would color it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think at the time that I watched it, I was, I, I did have my guard up about uh, potentially sensational depictions of that event. Mm. Yeah. So, and, and it wasn't that. It wasn't a sensational depiction of the event. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, I think I was just kind of preparing myself for something that be that would be unpleasant. Mm. Um, so um, it, it was just filtered through uh, a different set of eyes at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, we could we could go back to that. Sure. Um, incidentally, this movie that we're talking about today was the one he made after Polytechnic. Right. And. Um, it's based on a play by Washdi Muawad. Uh, so I hope I'm not destroying his name. Yeah. Um, so uh, Washdi Muawad, he was born in Lebanon, grew up in Paris before moving to Montreal. So this was uh, a play that premiered in 2003. It was translated uh, into English as um, under the title Scorched. Mm. And uh, and incidentally, his uh, the the play he did before that, um, titled uh, Littoral, was the uh, was the winner of the Governor General's Literary Prize in Drama, and then he himself directed a movie version of it. Yeah. Um, so Denis Villeneuve and Valerie Beaugrand Champagne are the ones who uh, adapted the play for this uh, movie version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, before we get too deep into the uh, storyline, mm-hmm. are you? Uh, would you be comfortable talking about this movie without giving away um, some critical details? Sure. I think it's a movie. I could be wrong. I, like it was a movie that I discovered recently, and uh, and I've heard other. I've I've mentioned it to other people who say like, oh yeah, I've heard of that director, but I haven't seen that movie. Mm-hmm. So I think there's. I think a lot of people have yet to discover this mm. and and i think um part of the impact of it is how the story unfolds yeah yeah you've seen it um two times two times okay yeah 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 i mean i guess it has what i don't know what you would call it a shock ending um i don't know if it's a shock ending but it's certainly uh there's just a lot of revelations that have deep impacts for the characters and, and for the audience mm-hmm. yeah um Basically, the, the, main, the main characters are uh, uh, twin brother and sister. Yeah. And they, the movie opens, or I guess the movie opens with uh, a young child in some unknown location getting his head shaved, but over uh, to the tune of Radiohead's You and Who's Army, which on that note, I got my Radiohead shirt on. 
So that, that's that's a crazy shirt that you're. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's kind of like I can't remember what album it's from, but it's, uh, it's some artwork where they're just these kind of ghost creatures. Yeah. It's all this all blue and green and white and wow. That's mm-hmm. a that's a cool shirt. That was a good concert last year. Um. So. Got some Radiohead guy getting his head, a kid getting his head shaved, and then cuts to a lawyer and two, uh, what what you referred to as twins. I I didn't really see the resemblance, I guess, but, um, because they're, well, um, would you, would you, I guess you would see the resemblance. If they were real twins, you would see the resemblance, but they're, they're just actors. Um, Jean and, Jean and Simon are the twins. Simon. Yeah. Simon. Um, they are going through their mother's will who has recently passed. I guess we don't know how recently, but, um, the, the lawyer states that I was watching it in French. So I, I help me if I get the details wrong, but, um, that her name can't be placed on her gravestone until, until the daughter finds their father and the son finds their brother, whom uh, I guess they didn't even know that they had a brother. Mm-hmm. The daughter, Jeanne, kind of, she seems to be more engaged with it than, than Simon, I guess. He's, he's immediately just like, this is, this is ridiculous. We're going to have a proper burial. Jeanne ends up going to the Middle East, I guess. It's not really named what country it is, I don't think. Yeah. Um, it, presumably think, it's Lebanon. Yeah, um, the playwright's home. But I, in the play, actually, it's not named either. Yeah. She goes to Lebanon to try and find their father, discover some things. Then the brother comes to join her under the pretense of basically just finding her and going home. But he then goes on his own journey of, uh, I guess, exploring the past and... The movie ends at some point. And later, it ends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, well, that's a good... Um, I think that pretty much uh, sets up what the movie is about, the narrative, uh, mm-hmm. without, uh, without giving away the surprises. Um, mm. I, think, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's ruining anything to, to say, like, we, we discover the mother's story slowly. Um, but, uh, through the eyes of the children, we, we discover um, what their mother experienced. Uh, Not normal. necessarily through the eyes of the children. Like, the flashbacks aren't, aren't directly related to discoveries that the children are making in the present. That's true. Yeah. yeah. There's, sort of a, there's a sort of a parallel happening uh, where it, it feels like characters are kind of on the same path, but they're in different uh, they're they're not exactly they're not exactly going through the same spaces or experiences as as the other. Mm-hmm. Like there's uh, like you'll we'll we'll follow um, the younger version of the mother uh, Nawal um, for a while, and and then it would there's a transition where it seems like we're still following her, but we're actually following the daughter. Yeah, and um, so there's 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 like a, or the daughter arrives at the university that she went to, and then there's a cut, and it and it's all of a sudden in the past with. Now, while um, working working for the the school newspaper and yeah, yeah. Um, discovering some of the sort of political problems that are going on in the country, and yeah. Um, so you're right that it's not uh, that we're seeing uh, what we're seeing is not what uh, Jeanne discovers, mm-hmm. but um, but but we're sort of 
um, led through this experience that is kind of overlapping. And, uh, and, you know, she does, uh, the children do discover the history of, of, of their mother. And, uh, and it, it's, uh, a lot of it is about her, how her mother, how their mother got involved in the political turmoil of the times. And, uh, in that, in their home country, there was, um, there was friction between, uh, refugees coming into the area and, um, there was uh, animosity between the Muslim and Christian factions, mm-hmm. and that there were, and that there was lots of violence and eventually a war. Um, and as they as they talk to the characters, uh, it also becomes kind of hard to trace. They, uh, you know, they the characters explain well the that attack was a reprisal for this attack, which was a reprisal for that attack, which was a reprisal for this attack, and. Uh, uh, it you get is, lost in the violence, I guess. Yeah, and, and I think that's kind of the point of the story, mm-hmm. um, that this, the cycle of violence keeps going on and, uh, and that it turns in on itself, that, that, um, that a country turns in on itself, that people do, that families do, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, it's reflected in how Simon is kind of resentful of his mother mm. and, uh, um, and that... Uh, uh, the mother Nawal, she's she identifies herself as a Christian, but later she actually takes action against uh, the the Christian side of this war. Mm-hmm. And I think it's uh, so it's, those complications uh, I think really uh, make the point about how how brutal the war is and how it doesn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, can we uh, can we go back to the title of the movie? Yes. I was trying to understand the word. Yeah. Uh, and from what I could figure out, Ansandi, in, in the movie, it's, uh, the title of the movie is a plural form, but uh, from what I could figure out, it means it's, it's a big fire that spreads and causes damage. Yeah. Does that sound right to you? Sure. I, d- I don't really know. Okay. Yeah. Well, you'll have to take my word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, just, I guess it reminds me, or it makes me think of the English word incendiary. Yes. Um, it was not released under that title because I guess the play was already given the title Scorched. And yeah. there was also another movie called Incendiary that came out two years before. Hmm. I, yeah, and I feel like it's the kind of title that doesn't necessarily need to be translated anyway. No, I don't think it you, does. You, like, it, it, I guess the whatever it's Latin or or. I think you get a feeling of German what it's or whatever to say. roots it is. I like just, just I just get... think it's interesting how it's not um, like it's not easily it's not easily transferred to one single word. Yeah, uh, to get that to get the meaning across. Google Translate just says fire, <laughs> which I think is not enough. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So okay, forget that digression into linguistics and. No, I think it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, mean, I guess I guess why. Like, I guess fire isn't really a recurring motif in the movie. Um, so it's interesting that that is the focus of, of the title of the, of the play and, um, and the movie. I guess, I mean, scorched makes me think of, um, like kind of being scarred maybe. So I can, I can see that as being, and perhaps, and perhaps, the, like uh, with with a French understanding of the word incendie, that might that understanding of scarring or um, 
or trauma might come out more mm-hmm. in in the French understanding of the word rather than having to get it translated. But but focusing on the scorched, I think it I think it resonates even though, like I'm saying, if there's only I guess there's only one scene that I'm thinking of that actually involves fire, mm-hmm. and that became a focal point of a lot of the marketing for the movie that any any posters or, or screenshots yeah. that you see is a lot of them are of of that scene with where Nawal is in front of the um burning bus yeah yeah um yeah it's a let's talk about that scene yeah yeah um it's when uh Nawal um has gotten a ride on a on a bus uh, but then, and she has to, uh, she has to hide her Christianity to get. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's, I think it's interesting to set up how she gets there. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised that when she was passing over into this, um, the southern zone or something, the southern zone where, yeah, where she passes this checkpoint. It, I just found it, I found it kind of. I guess brazen of her to just be walking around it like it just didn't seem safe like I, I couldn't really get a sense of why she was doing that and mm-hmm. then this bus comes along and clearly she recognizes that she has to change her appearance to to uh, present as Muslim yeah um, which I, 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 I couldn't I couldn't really figure out why because presumably there's Muslims and Christians in this territory but I guess maybe just maybe there was a maybe there was an emblem on the bus or something like that Somehow she figured out that she yeah. needed to to hide that she was a Christian. So she she gets on this bus after having disguised her appearance, and then well, they're well, they're stopped by some sort of a militia. Yeah, uh, who then um, it, it seems because the militia is Christian and and the bus passengers are Muslim, uh, the militia uh, massacre the bus. Um, and and uh, Nawal does survive, but it's uh, it's an event that scars her. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, like, does that like does that? Uh, I, I guess um, I guess I don't I I, I guess I don't want to speak too much about the details of the scene because uh, because it's it's so effective to uh, uh, when I watched it I. Um, the I thought there's there's a couple of things that um, that really were impactful um, that that we were seeing this experience from inside the bus. Uh, we didn't really see the uh, the militia people as like as humans mm-hmm. because they were just these these guys with guns outside the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that's an interesting it's an interesting um, mirroring of. Of how they would have seen the people in the bus—that they're not people; they're just—they're yeah. just people to—they're just Muslims to be killed. Yeah. Um, and it was just this—this this feeling, like when you know that Nawal understands what's happening, that—that that feeling of uh, helplessness, I thought was uh, really impactful in the scene. Yeah. And it actually, uh, when I watched it last night, when the scene concluded, um, I—I physically felt cold for a while. Yeah. It was uh, it was it was just so it's powerful, devastating, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, I guess that's really that's really a turning point for the movie. Where, as much as you kind of sense that things are going wrong, and and um, you know she hasn't had a great life or anything like that, like that's really where things start to go mm-hmm. 
very wrong for her. You, you, um, I, I think you just, um, you said that it was very brazen for her to go through the checkpoint. Um, yeah. I think it's just because um, you forgot you forgot the little part that she was very determined to uh, find her son. Yeah, that she knew. No, was no. At, I guess I guess um, I, I was I was more thinking of once she was on the other side of the checkpoint, mm-hmm. just kind of openly walking around just seemed ill advised. Okay. Um, especially yeah. when when this bus comes upon her and and yeah. she has to cover herself up. Like it just seems strange that she would be. That she would be walking around without the scarf on her head, if if it's a concern that she shouldn't be. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I I just I just didn't fully. I mean, I guess like you're not supposed to feel safe, and and I think I think um, one of the really effective parts of the movie is how like focus isn't put on what side is right and what side is wrong, and um, not naming the country, just kind of focusing on the violence and not picking a side, I guess, and not creating a sense of what exact history this applies to. Um, I think those are all really smart choices on, on the part of the, the writers and, and filmmakers. But yeah, I, I guess, I guess, I guess I, I'm just expressing, um, like a, a, a tension that it evoked in me because mm-hmm. I was concerned for her safety. Mm-hmm. As uh, as effective as as that the the bus massacre scene is, um, and and I think it does kind of shift the the tone of the movie once that happens, and you you know that things are explosive, that things are can can go wrong at any point. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciated how the movie was restrained in how it depicted violence, mm-hmm. um, that it was willing to um, to build the sense of dread about what can happen and characters describe what what will ha- what has happened to people in the past mm-hmm. but um but they don't go to the point of reenacting those moments mm. which was was both I, I thought it was both um made it easier to to sit through the movie yeah but also um it, it kind of uh it kind of created like this the psychological terror in you in, in me as well because yeah. then it, it exists in your imagination yeah and actually to that point um when I was preparing to watch the movie again this week, um, having known what happens and, and how it happens, or I guess not how it happens because that was kind of my issue. Um, I was, I was recounting, or I was, I was just sort of preparing my, uh, my girlfriend for watching it because I was like, just so you know, this is a really fucked up movie. And, um, in my mind, it was a lot more violent and Mm. it was a lot more graphic and, uh, it was a lot more in your face about the things that were going on. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like how people imagine Janet Lee getting stabbed in Psycho, but you never actually see that. You never mm. you never see the knife go in to her body. You just you see you see the before and after essentially, um, but your your brain fills in the gap. And so in the same way in this movie, my memory of it was. Yeah, a lot more graphic than than it was, and so she didn't end up watching the movie because the way that I had described it seemed so much like seemed like it would just be too too much to to go through kind of thing. Because okay. um, um, and and then after I had finished watching it this morning, I said to her, I was like, oh yeah, by the way, like it's not as bad as I thought it was. Like it's still an intense movie, but the I guess the visual aspect of the violence is not. To the extent that I remember it being. Ah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. 
like I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't mean to say that as as like a knock against the movie or anything. I think that it shows how effective it is at at making your mind fill in the blanks and yeah, like you say, causing that sort of psychological mm-hmm. terror and, and well, dread. Well, um, before I said that um, that we discover the the story of Nawal through the twins' eyes, and you corrected me that we don't actually do that. Um, I think I think I, I I equated that in my head because of um, the restrained filmmaking uh, in mm-hmm. terms of violence. Because there's that scene where 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 Jeanne, um, finds uh, the school janitor. And and he has uh, he has a memory of, of of their mother, but he says um, he warns her. He says like there's there's things that you probably don't want to know, and mm-hmm. and and uh, Jan with with uh, with tears coming down her face, um, she says I'm going to live with it anyway. Mm-hmm. And so uh, just that that horror of if you don't tell me, it's it's even worse. But you have to tell me. Um, and I yeah. think that's kind of that's kind of how we experience the movie is we we don't have to see the most horrific violence, but we know that it occurred. Yeah. Well, but there's a, there's also a difference between I think what what John's motivations are and what you're describing because um, we as the viewers know what happened because we're told what happened in full by the end of the movie, but in that moment. There are things that she doesn't know, mm-hmm. and so her saying not knowing is worse. Um, I guess. I guess I'm. I'd be curious to to watch the movie again with that kind of focus in mind. In terms of, is it a good thing or a bad thing that these twins come to the revelations that they do by the end of the movie? Is it is it important that they? uncover their mother's history and their own history or are they are they now going to go down a path of deep anguish and depression and substance abuse like like i guess i'm i'm curious what the effect of of actually uncovering the past has on a person or or whether you're better to have gaps Hmm. that's just that's something that um you know just with my own personal history that I, that I struggle with. Should I know, or should I not know? Mm-hmm. Should I try to go back there or should I, should I just stay, stay in the present? Yeah. No, that's, um, no, you raise a good point that, um, which I, I didn't really think about, um, I guess the movie's still fresh for me. Um, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, is it, is it for the benefit of the, of the twins to uncover this history? Um, I, cause I mean, I, I just, in terms of one, one sort of example from the movie of having, having the past come into your present, um, Nawal is confronted with, I don't know, I guess to keep things vague, her abuser mm-hmm. at, at a later stage in her life when she wouldn't have expected that to, to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that there's a fairly direct correlation between that and her death. Yes. Like, is she basically once once this once this confrontation happens, it doesn't seem like she lives much longer. So is yeah, it is it a, is it a good thing? Yeah. And yeah, I guess that, that's different. Be. That's different than just uncovering the story of something. She mm-hmm. was she was actually in the physical presence of 
of someone who had caused her great harm. So um, I, I think there's there's certainly a, a difference between that and John just learning about the mm. past through hearing stories yeah. from other people. But um, I guess I yeah I'm not I'm not sure what the movie thinks in terms of if it's good or bad or uh, certainly a combination of both. I guess okay. Um, in uh, I don't recall in the movie did the um uh, the notary, um, yeah, that, that, who, who was, uh, Remy Girard. Yes. That, that's the actor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, LaBelle is his name. The, notary, okay. the character's name. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Nawal worked as, uh, as LaBelle's secretary and then, um, LaBelle becomes the executor of her, of her estate. Mm-hmm. I don't remember in the movie, does he tell the kids when the will was written? No. Cause I, okay, it might have been when I was thumbing through the play then. Because um, there's, because uh, you, you talk about the timeline um, when she, before she dies. Um, because I, uh, it seems like she is not there f- with her children in, in the present, or not present day, but like before she dies. It, it seems like her children are frustrated by her presence and that they're, um, that they don't really connect with her. That Simone especially seems annoyed by her. Yeah. But there, I mean, there was a short, clip of him going into the hospital when she gets hospitalized yeah, that's and, right yeah. um but but yeah there there's there i guess there's no there's no scene with the two of them sort of at her deathbed no um in the play um the bell says that uh, the the contents of the will were written five years ago before mm. her death so there was there was a time when she seems of she seems of put in motion certain things, but then she's shut down from her family. So, right. Yeah. Um, that's interesting because in, in the movie, it seems like it's more a direct response of, again, being confronted by her abuser. Um, it seems like then she makes the decision to, con- to construct the will the way that she does. Mm-hmm. Um, because, because doesn't she, um, she kind of dictates it to LaBelle, when she's in the hospital. That's the implication, it yeah. seems. Well, yeah, well, she whispers something. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure. I presumably, because, I mean, he was pretty frantically writing something down. Pre- presumably that was her will, and he mm. was writing it down so that, so that she could sign it, and mm. it would be okay. considered lawful. Yeah. Well, it, um, I'd have to rewatch that, but. Yeah. Otherwise, he also could just, just keep something in his memory banks. Just the adaptation of the of the uh, play to the screen, I guess, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we should, uh, where should we go from here? How do we get there? Uh, it's making me think of, of, um, I can't remember which Radiohead song, but on, <laughs> where do we go from here? Where's it coming out of here? Where are we now? When I need you. It's not in the movie, but no, Okay. Um, I guess I just have Radiohead on the mind. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. What, Let's what, talk about music what, for a second. What fucking song is that? I don't. It's on don't the band. Oh, it's the Benz. Okay. Which album is that? It's off the Benz. <laughs> the Benz off the Benz. Yeah. Okay. Right. Hey. So the the two songs that are used in the movie are from um, Amnesiac. Yes. Yeah. Which came out the previous year, two thousand nine. Um. They were fresh songs at the time. No, yeah. no. Amnesiac came two thousand one. No, that's uh, Kid A. Mm, no, we have to fact check that one. 
I oh, it is two thousand one. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I know because uh, I don't know why I had two thousand nine. I because I know where I was because I know where I was working in two thousand one. Yeah, and I happened to on my lunch break go to Future Shop, and uh, and Amnesiac was like fresh that week, except they had it on a display where it was like eight ninety nine, and I was just like, well, that's good enough. Because mm-hmm. like fresh CDs were not uh, under ten dollars. Uh, That's a good deal. It is, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure what uh, what the uh, push was. Why why that one had like this um, discounted push at at its launch? But interesting. The two songs yes. that, uh, that are used on uh, in this movie. Um, I did not expect that. I did not expect it to open with Radiohead, and then I didn't expect the. Um, uh, like spinning plates to come in later on. Yeah, it's, I'm trying to remember where that transition occurs with like spinning plates. Um, when, I know it's when it goes back to Simon, but what happens yeah. in Lebanon or wherever? He goes to that village looking for. Um, well, he's he's told go to the village and this this person who might be like connected with other powerful people will find you. Mm-hmm. And so he's just wandering that village, and that's when spinning plates comes in. Mm. Yeah. Or is it, or, or is it when John, like she calls Simon and says, like, I need you here? I don't think so. No, no. Yeah. Sorry, but yeah. So what, what, what are your thoughts on the usage of that music? I thought it was, I thought it was effective. Yeah. Uh, for me, Radiohead always sounds sad <laughs> and introspective and sort of um, uh, what's that word when you're like trying to. Trying to bust out of something, but you can't. That that kind of restricted um, or yeah. That, uh, well, anyway, the the feeling I get from Radiohead songs usually is is one of like wanting to bust out, but you're kind of trapped in a thing. And anyway, and that, I get no. I I it more for me it feels like um, you're kind of floating away, like um, how to disappear completely hmm. off Kid A. I feel like that that kind of embodies a lot of what I feel about Radiohead. Okay. Because it's like you're floating down a river, um, and just wanting to disappear. Okay. Um, and 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 I think, on a thematic level, that kind of like the movie is about uncovering traumas, you could say. And I think their music, at least for me, it feel it feels it gives you the feeling that you might have when you're kind of having an out of not an out of body experience in in like a good way in a meditative way but in a way of like you're just so overwhelmed by the world that you you kind of don't know what to do or think and so you just kind of drift away and um i feel like that that music that their music takes me to that place but but in a way that still feels safe and constructive, I guess. Hmm. Okay. Um, like it allows me to experience those emotions, but in in more of um, in more of a way of like exercising them out of me, as opposed to being trapped in them. Hmm. Um, and okay. and I feel like this movie, at least in some way, is about trying to get rid of the negativity and it, uh, whether or not whether or not the characters are able to to succeed at that is sort of left mm-hmm. hanging at the end i suppose but i think that's that's the hope i guess of you know if if you find these things out you can move on from them like that like you were saying with what what john is saying like i i need to know 
what happened or else I'm, I'm kind of in limbo to mm. quote the title of another Radiohead song. Okay. Interesting that you, that you, you describe an experience with uh, Radiohead's music that is one of escape. Yeah, generally, and 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 I describe one of enclosure. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's, so I I wanted to um, I wanted to run this by you um, this visual motif in the movie, which I I haven't quite lined it up to something that that like a concrete theory yet. But okay. let me just run it by you. Inside outside, uh, there's a lot of characters uh, framed framed in frames. They're in door frames and window frames. There's lots of like borders around people in the compositions, I mm-hmm. noticed. And there's a lot of instances where um, there's a reversal of the safety of, of the inside versus the outside. Mm. Like in the opening shot, we see this, uh, this exterior landscape, this, this dramatic um, kind of desert and canyon land- landscape. Mm-hmm. But then it reveals that it's actually, with the camera pulling back, that it's actually an interior shot mm-hmm. looking outside. And, and what we see inside is, um, is all these children mm. who are trapped and they're um, literally being groomed by uh, men with guns. Mm. Um, later we see um, when, when Jean looks, uh, when, when Jean goes to her mother's village and she's inquiring about her mother, she's invited inside um, to sit with these women, but it turns out to be like a really hostile environment. Yeah. Um, and there's that, um, there's the, the bus scene that I, that we talked about earlier. Uh, I mean, that's all, that's all, um, experience from the inside of the bus. So mm-hmm. again, this, uh, this, this feeling of being trapped inside. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to bring that one up yeah. if you hadn't. Uh, of course, um, there's, uh, there would be, uh, the, along with that theme is, uh, you know, prison cells and people trapped mm. in, in small confinement. So contrast that with when Simon goes to uh, the village looking for this person who might have information. Mm-hmm. And, and he's instructed, just wait for this person to find you. Wait to be invited to mm-hmm. tea. And, and what happens is they sit outside. Mm-hmm. And, he, and, and he's, he's able to connect with people who, will, who might help him. Mm-hmm. And, and, that's, and that, 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 by contrast, is a safer environment. Hmm. And it's outside, and yeah. I, think, I think that's very interesting. Yeah, well, I, I think again to to kind of discuss one of the major themes of the movie without getting into too many specifics is the again to go back to that scene with John and the and the janitor needing to that she has this this desire to uncover the past. Um, I think it's certainly trying to say that that getting these things out into the open rather than keeping them hidden and enclosed is of some benefit. Hmm. Um, I mean, you could relate that to the, the times up movement that's going on right now that, you know, for decades, all these women who have been harassed and abused have been silenced by the, by the institutions around them, but they're now speaking out against that. Hopefully that leads to some, healing for them and for the world, but I guess time will tell. Again, I, do, I don't know. I don't know if, if it will lead to healing for these characters, think, thinking specifically about this movie. Will they be better now knowing what happened to them and to their mother? But in, in terms of how that's represented visually, 
like you say, when they when they come to these revelations or when they're when they're on their way toward these revelations, they're they're outside, they're in the open, they're they're getting things out. I think th- those are all sort of um, thematic analogs to what you're talking about in terms of the inside versus the outside. The outside to me represents represents openness and progression and um, healing, I guess. But you, so you mentioned the, I guess you, you just said how you were, you were talking about how things are, how, how shots are composed or that there's, there's lots of frames around characters or door, door frames or whatever they are, window frames. Um, I guess one thing that I was thinking about on the way over here is to me, it felt like some of the shots were overly exposed or not, not overly exposed, overly composed. Um, okay. In the sense of like, I'm just thinking of Nawal in front of the burning bus, that image, it's very, it's very provocative and it's very powerful, but I feel like it also, I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't really have the, I don't, I don't have the, um, the knowledge or understanding of cinematography enough to be able to really articulate what I'm trying to say, but it just feels too, too direct or too, too focused on, on, I guess the message that they're trying to deliver. Like it, 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 I don't know. Um, the, the other, the other one that I'm thinking of is, um, at the end of the movie, there's a character who's reading a letter um, that gives him some revelation with his past, and the camera the camera pans over to his shadow on the wall and holds on his shadow as opposed to holding on his um, on the on the on the actor's face and his reaction to reading this letter as it's being sort of told to him in in voiceover by the person who wrote it. It was like I, I really liked that choice because it kind of it kind of turns that character into almost like a specter or a ghost that that he kind of represents this larger evil maybe or something like that. But then but then it cut back to him, and so I was just kind of confused by that because I felt like I felt like it would have been more effective to just hold on that shadow for the whole time. Yeah, there. I don't know. There. Were, I don't know if it was the. There. There. Just. There's some shots that were, that are just very static, and I guess. I guess meant to be full of meaning, but I don't know if it was just the the actors' performances or the fact that they were held too long or whatever. That I, I just some. There's something there that I'm not able to articulate, but that didn't sit well with me. I guess. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. You are you are you trying to say like some of the some of the camera work or the compositions were too deliberate to, yeah. to drive home a point? Yeah, I think deliberate's a good word, yeah. Okay. In a previous episode, we talked about uh, Jean-Marc Vallée, mm-hmm. and, and I said, like, I think his, his style seems to be like this very classic Hollywood style that is almost invisible, and, and you said that you actually think that he has, he has a lot of stylish, stylistic touches that, that bring attention to themselves. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Villeneuve... It, his style brings more attention to himself because yeah. there's lots of deliberateness about about how he uh, uses visual language. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, it didn't bother me in this movie. I thought it was just, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it bothered me while watching it, but mm -hmm. it was just something that I was thinking about and wanting to maybe just wanting to understand better. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. because like I say, I don't really think that I have, have the knowledge to, to talk about composition or, or, um, cinematography in that way. Yeah. I'm trying to see if it's obvious on this DVD cover who the uh, director of, uh, who the cinematographer was, but, uh, the, the printing is so small, <laughs> <clears throat> but I thought it was, I, I thought there was several points where it was just like a really beautiful looking film. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, and of course that, uh, the, the bus scene, uh, as, uh, as horrific as it is, I think it's like beautifully shot. Mm -hmm. Um, all of those, uh, all of those cuts I think are, are really worked well. Um, mm -hmm. there's, uh, Andre Turpin. Oh, nice. Thanks. I think, uh, actually I know cause I wrote this down. Um, but, uh, he was awarded the best cinematographer award at the, uh, 2011 genies and the Jutras and, and, uh, the movie like pretty much swept the uh, Canadian awards uh, in that year. Um, director, best picture, adaptive screenplay, sound, cinematography, editing. Um, the lead actress, um, Lubna Azabal, um, who plays the mother. Um, she was uh, she got she got the best actress award in, um, in at the Genies and the Jutras. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was, was nominated for an Oscar as well, right? It was nominated for the foreign language Oscar, uh, but didn't win that year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it uh, won a bunch of stuff on the festival circuit around that time. Is there more to say about this movie? It's a good one. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously, I, I think I asked the same about Crazy. This one, this one's near the top of that TIFF Best Canadian Films list as well. I mean, right. would you, would you hold it in that esteem? I would. Yeah. Of the of the movies we've discussed since we started this podcast, this one is in the top three for me. Top three. Yeah. Do you know what the other two are? Okay, can I expand it to top five? Sure. Okay, it's definitely in the top five. Crazy is also in the top five. Yeah. Um, I'd have to, I'd have to just uh, see which ones are jockeying for those other positions. Mm. But yeah, but those two I know for sure. Oh, one thing that I did want to talk about is how this movie fits into, I guess, the idea of a Canadian movie, or specifically. Uh, a subset of the of at least some of the movies that we've watched on this podcast so stories we tell mm -hmm. um and then i was thinking about exotica uh, and even crazy actually to a certain degree but i can't for the life of me i can't actually remember what exotica is about <laughs> and i was trying to remember on the way over and okay. i didn't but think to look it up but if it's this theory that you're going to describe i think it does <laughs> okay. because because i feel like it has to do with uncovering the past and um like family secrets okay. and the effects of trauma through the generations. I feel like, I feel like those themes pop up in a lot of Canadian movies. Okay. And I, and I wonder if there's, if there's anything to that. I mean, this movie in specific, I'm thinking of the fact that it's, it's a family that came from uh, a country that was experiencing civil war and, and came here to start a new life and, are are they're not fully successful in that because they can't sort of shed themselves of of the traumas of the past i i think i i would like to um respond to that but yeah. um how do you put 
Stories we tell. Oh, sorry. Uh, did you say stories we tell? Or did you I did. Say, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, Just because because it, it's this family secret that she uncovers and but it, and the but effects. But it, it, it exists with the generation that's here, though, doesn't? Um, yeah. 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 So it doesn't. It, yeah. It doesn't have to do with immigration. It just seems. It seems like those ideas are things that a lot of Canadian movies focus on. Okay. Um, Agree or disagree? I I agree to an extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to I have to maybe give some thought to how a lot of these selections on your list fit into the pattern. But I would say because uh, Canadian culture, generally speaking, seems to be um, welcoming of other cultures um, that, that you know Canadian culture is described as a Pardon the cliche, but it's, it's you know it's a mosaic rather than a melting pot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the stories of immigrants um, is something that uh, doesn't fade away. Um, that uh, that the, the current generation in Canada, um, if they're if they're if they're recent immigrants or their or their um, parents or grandparents were immigrants from uh, from places that were. Um, experiencing troubles, uh, that those stories still filter into their own lives. It's not. It's not enough to be removed from it by a generation or two. But I think. I, I think also the the culture more broadly, and and not necessarily the culture, but just society, tries to forget those things as well. And um, so yeah, like I'm like I'm thinking of like there's there's this element of uncovering or discovering. These things about the past that that seem to pop up in a lot of Canadian movies. I okay. I'll make a I'll make a comment that I guess is um, colored by my own experience, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if it's something that you can uh, directly relate to. Okay, but there's the tension between wanting to live as a contemporary person in. Um, the mainstream Canadian culture versus the tension to remember um, the history of your family. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, uh, I mean, not that I think, I know, I'm just, again, speaking from personal experience, I've, I've often felt like I wanted to I'd simply identify myself as, as having no history except my own. Mm-hmm. I made my own history, here I am. But it's not true. Um, I have to, I have to, be honest that I have um, a history that goes back beyond my parents, and mm-hmm. that doesn't, uh, and that's not solely based in Canada. Mm-hmm. So it's, but but then it doesn't really feel like my identity because I don't, I don't immediately um, connect to it. Mm-hmm. I can't say this is this is a uh, a thing that I, that I do that is because it honors my Chinese heritage. Mm-hmm. I don't have that. So there's uh, there's just this. Uh, uh, Tension if, um, of of who I am, right? And I think I think uh, like the the playwright uh, from Lebanon. Um, I guess uh, part of it is uh, where the story where his story comes from is uh, you see um, you see the twins who who just want to be who they are, who want to be finished with their mother's business, and they're dragged into this uh, into her history. Um, and it's something that she hasn't been able to tell them. It's uh, it, it's hard to it's hard to talk about traumas that you've experienced. So 
so she sets it up that they have to discover her trauma and, mm-hmm. and maybe that is a selfish thing to do. Yeah. Um, but, um, that, that discovery perhaps is, is, uh, the dilemma of, um, of a generation that is, uh, one or two steps down the generational chain from an immigrant mm-hmm. is that you, they won't fully appreciate what has happened to bring them to the present unless they discover it themselves. Yeah. They ju- and and I think that's kind of embodied in in Simon's character and just kind of not wanting to know and just being resentful and and uh, angry and not um, I guess more compassionate and understanding that there might be reasons that his childhood went the way it did because of his mother's experience. Mm-hmm. Fucking a man. <laughs> fucking a plus yeah yeah okay cool a plus okay all right i'm down all right that was uh no a good movie and um and i think uh, that was a good chat (laughs) i agree i like i like talking to you about movies we've done it for a few years now yes we're gonna continue doing that i guess yeah um no it's uh i mean it's just it's uh, like just what happened a few minutes ago. I mean, I think uh, trying to trying to relate what this movie is saying to to your own personal experience. Um, mm. I think I think that's uh, that's uh, that's a positive effect of, of a movie that makes you think. Yeah. 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 Um, the uh, did you notice in the credits there's a, there's a plea to um, Leonard Cohen? Oh no. There's there's a um, uh, the line says um, uh, Mr. Leonard Cohen, I need your help. Please call me Denny Villeneuve. No. <laughs> So I wonder, uh, I wonder what that was in relation to, and if that if that call was made. Interesting, Leonard Cohen, PI. <laughs> I'm just imagining him as like a secret private investigator. Oh, that was the way to reach him. Yeah, yeah. to yeah. put it in your movie credits. Yeah, because you know that he only helps he only helps filmmakers with right. their. Uh, That'd be funny with their <laughs> with their sleuthing needs. <laughs> Um, this morning I saw that um, there was some news headline. Um, Denis Villeneuve wants to do a remake of Dune. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think that's been around for a while. Oh, has it? Okay. Yeah. All right. um, that'd be interesting. Yeah. I haven't read the source material. The only, the only experience I have of the source material is through Alejandro Jodorowsky relaying it to me, but he also yeah. hasn't read the source material. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I've read this. I've read this first material. Um, it's a good book. Yeah. I, when I was reading it, I was surprised how many women would say to me, Oh, you're reading Dune. I love Dune. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. And, um, and you haven't seen the David Lynch movie? No. No. Well, you should see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the only David Lynch movie I haven't seen. Mm. Okay. That's probably the only movie he doesn't want you to see. <laughs> yeah. But I say see it. Cool. Yeah. Our website is, uh, filmedincanada.net. And you can contact us by email at filmedincanada at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on the iTunes store. And uh, and please leave a review or tell your friends about us. It really helps us out if you uh, help us uh, get the word out. Yeah. And if you do leave a review and email us to let us know, we will uh, take your recommendation for a future movie to discuss on the podcast. Has to be Canadian, though. Uh, by the way, I'm on uh, I'm on Letterboxd as uh, Angora Sweater. If anybody wants to link to that, and I'm also on Letterboxd and Twitter as Married to a Fly. Oh, we have a Facebook group, 
that has a sampling of postings on it. If you'd like to join, please request, and I will approve. It's a pretty low bar to entry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why not? Um, do you know what we're going to talk about next? I don't. Okay. Do then, you? No, but I thought you were going to choose something. <laughs> oh, maybe the sweet hereafter? That that look on your face kind of makes it is kind of how I feel about talking about the sweet hereafter. <laughs> I'm just I'm just trying to come up with something, dude. <laughs> maybe it's going to be that. Maybe but you had the else. same thought about Exotica, and you ended up liking that. Okay, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we might do the sweet hereafter. Cool. Uh, or something else. We might announce it on the Facebook page, mm. Facebook group. Yeah. So, until then, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>